Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Don't look behind you on the toad road. That's how the story started for me back in the 1990s. Don't look behind you on the toad road. Don't look behind you on toad road. Haunting words. Eerie words. They were spoken to me by my wife. She went to day camp near toad road in the early 1980s. Toad road was already a place of fear and strangeness. Eventually, the road would become associated with a burning insane asylum in the seven gates of hell. This is a story about strange legends and even stranger truths. Strange Familiars podcast. We'll be covering a range of topics from the paranormal to cryptids to the occult 
to mythology and folklore. Some of our shows will be presented over multiple episodes, while others will be one-shot features. This is our first episode, so please bear with us. I am Anthony Hoskin. And I'm Timothy Renner. We're your co-hosts. Please make sure to like and subscribe to us wherever you're listening, whether it's on YouTube, iTunes, or via any other service. If you have an idea for any stories you'd like us to cover, or if you've experienced something strange yourself, contact us by email, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. We're going to start off with a story about Toad Road and the Seven Gates of Hell. It's several stories in one, really, about several places in York County, Pennsylvania. As far as paranormal tales go, the story is quite a mix. Cryptids, ghosts, witchcraft, mystery lights, and more. Most of the research for this story was done for our book, Beyond the Seventh Gate, which you can find on Amazon. So here in York County, we have a legend uh, based around a road, uh, that road being Toad Road. Um, It's been closed for some time now. It's no longer useful as a road, Uh, but it's over time become the the focal point of a, a legend, the legend of the seven gates of hell. But that wasn't always the case. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack regarding this legend. Uh, There's a lot tied up in it. From uh, Pennsylvania folklore to local history, witness accounts, urban legend, it's all tied up in this one story about this one road. There was a, a horror movie made about Toad Road. It was called Toad Road. It was loosely based on on the legends. It appears in Wikipedia and on Helen Township's website. It's been in several local ghost story books. Weird Pennsylvania, a very popular book, and the Weird USA book series, it's been in both of those. There may not be one true story of Toad Road, but for sure there's a lot of urban legend and even some fiction bound up in it. We're going to do our best to get to the bottom of it. I guess first we have to kind of mention where Toad Road is. It's in Helm Township in York County, Pennsylvania. Wikipedia, along with the township website, both say that there never was a toad road. But it, there is. It's in the northwest section of the township, and it follows the Cadoris Creek uh, down to what was a Revolutionary War era iron forge that's most popularly known as uh, Cadoris Furnace. Uh, there are some old maps that show toad road. Right, and it was uh, known as Toad Road by locals. It's uh, I've always heard it referred to as Toad Road, uh, even though it never officially bore that name. Yeah, the, I think it's the uh, the Helm Township website says that there never was a road named Toad Road, but I believe there was. I believe I saw it on a map, and it was labeled Toad Road because that's how I found it. Which this would have been back before the weird Pennsylvania books and before the. The ghost story books talked about it. So, so it was a road, definitely a road. Uh, it, it got washed out during Hurricane Agnes, and it was closed. Uh, it was never repaired, so it reverted back to private property. Uh, 
I think the fact that Toad Road is closed has only kind of added to the air of mystery surrounding the area. Sure, if you, you close something down, it's a instant mystery. It's someone's not allowed in. It, it, it takes on that that air of the forbidden, I believe, which is uh, helps sustain the, a bit of the mystery. So the most popular story that's told is one of a burning asylum, an asylum that held criminals and mentally ill, dangerous folks. It burnt down, and one night the the inmates and the patients escaped into the woods and were uh, dealt with by the local people. Most died in the blaze, though. And I guess... uh, the area is now supposed to be haunted by the souls of those who who perished that night. So the story goes. <laughs> and uh, the the seven gates were supposedly erected to keep people away from the, the ruins of this uh, burnt asylum. This version of the story first surfaced, by my recollection, in the late 1990s, maybe the early 2000s. I'd never heard it before, and uh, it it popped up on this email list I was a member of that covered ghost stories and local legends and legend tripping. And there was a group of people who were, I think they were well-meaning, but they were very ill-researched on the list and they often uh, would claim to know the the stories behind these local legends and they never let the the truth get in the way of a good story certainly (laughs) so they came back from one of their weekend trips and they told this this grand story of this burning asylum and and the the horrible uh, tragedy of the victims in the woods and and it was these uh, poor victims who were, were haunting Toad Road which immediately, to me, just set off bells. It just seemed, it seemed too, uh, like I said, I, I don't want to say too good to be true because that makes it seem like it was a good event. Uh, the story, <laughs> the story seemed too convenient, too much like a Paul Parr story. So I just decided to go look at some maps. Luckily, my father-in-law has tons of maps of York County. They date back to uh, at least the early 1800s. He might have some that even go back into the 1700s. And they all do show Toad Road because uh, Cadoris Furnace was a was a major uh, part of early York County history. It was a an iron forge. They they made uh, cannons for the Revolutionary War and so forth there. So the the early roads went there, and and what became Toad Road certainly uh, was the main road that led to Cadoris Furnace at that time. So the roads shown on on all of these maps, but nowhere is there ever a, a an asylum shown. They, they, these maps mark what the different buildings are. They map schools. They map hospitals. They 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 show uh, even residences. And there's nothing along Toad Road ever except for what's shown as a seasonal dwelling, which uh, a very small building it was probably a hunting cabin. Yeah, it, it's worth noting that there was never even a, a dedicated insane asylum in York County. 
or any uh, mental health institution dedicated solely to either the insane or just the mentally ill. Uh, in modern times, patients are, are just sent to York Hospital. Um, and prior to that, they would have been sent to the York County Almshouse. It seems that, that, that uh, people use the insane as a convenient source of, of uh, horror. Yeah, uh, fear. Fear and horror. I, that, too, struck me as a, a little odd about the story. There were fires that happened in insane asylums, and, and they happened as, as close as uh, Philadelphia uh, an asylum burn, but it made the national news. It made it certainly would have made the local news. There's never anything mentioned about this burning asylum in the local papers, the national papers, or anywhere else. So I returned to this email list, and I I told them that that no, there there was never a building like that out there. And they simply changed their story. At first, they changed it to say it wasn't on Toad Road at all, but it was on Toad Valley Road, which is in Shrewsbury, that's in the southern part of the, the county. I happened to drive Toad Valley Road several times a week at that time, and I knew there was no uh, insane asylum there either. So they just kept changing their story and changing their story, and eventually they landed on the idea that there was this mad doctor and he was keeping patients in his mansion. Yeah, there's. Uh, I'm going to have to consult my uh, my outline here to get the the facts right. But there was uh, a Dr. Harold Belknap, who who was a real man. He lived near Toad Road. Uh, he worked at something called the Westside Sanitarium. The Westside Sanitarium, though, was not a mental hospital. In the first half of the 20th century, the words sanitarium or sanatorium uh, referred to any place you, you might be sent if you needed some uh, medical rest. The Westside Sanitarium was pretty much just a hospital. Dr. Belknap was a heart and vascular specialist, but because he was a doctor who lived near Toad Road, I guess, and because he worked at a sanitarium, uh, again, not a mental hospital, uh, some of the ghost story books and such have claimed that Dr. Belknap was some eccentric collector of uh, toads who threatened people and, and kept patients locked up in his home. Uh, it seems that Dr. Belknap was, was was as innocent as could be. I mean, he served in both world wars, uh, provided free medical care for the Society for Protection of Children and Aged Persons Homes. Uh, he taught at the University of Pennsylvania and John Hopkins. It doesn't seem as though he was a mad doctor that the legends would have you believe. And he certainly didn't keep patients as prisoners in his home. No, definitely not. I think that's one of the the most offensive things about uh, this whole uh, insane asylum legend or, or when it shifted to, to Dr. Belknap and his, his mansion. Dr. Belknap got bound up in this, I think, just because he happened to live near Toad Road. And if our book has done one thing, one good thing, hopefully it's kind of cleared his name a little bit and separated him from this nonsense. When we uh, were writing the book last year, I'm not sure if it's still the case, but his second wife I know was still alive, and I don't know if she ever heard any of these outrageous ghost stories. 
I hope she has not. Yeah. And I, I hope she never does. But uh, it's really, really unfortunate that he was named as this mad doctor. It, it wasn't the case. For all uh, accounts, he was a, a good man. And uh, he doesn't need to be bound up in, in a bunch of nonsense. Along those lines, though, and something that ties in is another doctor, uh, Dr. Crandall. Yeah, Dr. Crandall's health school was in Helm proper, which, as the crow flies, isn't terribly far from Toad Road. And that was located in an actual mansion. At one point, it was called the Pennsylvania Osteopathic Sanatorium. Again, this was not a mental hospital. This was a old person's home. And uh, Dr. Crandall, I think he, he took it over. It got renamed Dr. Crandall's Health School. And it did burn down. Absolutely, there was a fire and the, the mansion burned to the ground. Not a single person was hurt. No one met the uh, escaping patients in the surrounding woods to, to kill them. Uh, there wasn't even wood surrounding the place. It's off the main road uh, that cuts through Helm. So you did have this uh, this burning building, which was a sanatorium. There's a lot of burning going on, really, because there was another uh, building that burned along Toad Road. Most of the legends tend to t concentrate on the, the southern end of the road, because probably because it's the easiest spot to get to. Uh, the northern end of the road is more difficult to find, and at its end is Cador's Furnace, but there were there were ruins of a of an old flint mill along the creek and up the hill from the ruins uh, there was a, a an office for the flint mill it was just a, a two-story wooden building but that burnt to the ground in 1988 no one lived there no one was hurt in the fire they they think vandalism was the cause so yeah you, you have these two fires um close to toad road one involving a doctor and Dr. Crandall. Um, there was some controversy with Dr. Crandall. He was uh, taken up on uh, charges of practicing medicine without a license. So, you know, maybe there's there's some questions about Dr. Crandall and his mansion burnt. The mansion that was at one time a sanatorium. Once again, not a mental hospital. We have to keep repeating that. <laughs> And the other fire on the north end of Toad Road, the, the, the old Flint Mill office. I think that's all these things kind of get bound together, and I think they get misremembered. Uh, someone might remember, yeah, there was a doctor, and he had a mansion, and it burnt. And somebody else maybe remembers about the, the uh, Flint Mill office burning. There's enough truth to these to these little segments that people remember. Yeah, yeah. I, there's, there's, uh, it's just enough to, to, to give it the legend just enough, uh, reality to, to, that people will start believing it, I think. And, and then it becomes the story. Despite all these legends that we've sort of debunked here, there are some very strange things that happen on Toad Road, and we're going to come back to that. But before we do that, we have to kind of follow these legends of the Seven Gates of Hell. They do all tie together in some very interesting ways. 
And to do that, we have to go south to a place called Raymire's Hollow, which is also known as Hex Hollow, for a tale of witchcraft and murder and ghosts. Seven Gates of Hell, as I originally heard the tale, were not located at Toad Road at all. They were associated with two locations in York County. One was Raymire's Hollow, which is in southern York County, near Shrewsbury. The other was Prospect Hill Cemetery, which is in York City. And the way the gates were supposed to work at either location had to do with a certain circuitous route that you would drive through or walk through in either the hollow or the cemetery. And each circuit would open up another gate, a symbolic gate, not a physical gate, with uh, things getting more horrible and supernatural along the way. Supposedly, no one ever made it back from the seventh gate. So, in the search uh, for the seven gates of hell, we have to explore Raymire's Hollow, and to talk about Raymire's Hollow, we have to talk about Nelson Raymire and the so-called Hex Murder, which is how Raymire's Hollow got its nickname Hex Hollow. To talk about the Hex Murder, we have to talk about local traditions of witchcraft, powwow, and hexing, which we'll hopefully do an entire show on someday. But we'll explore it here just a bit to give a background into the Hex Hollow story. This local tradition, uh, which has gotten the, the common name of powwowing, was brought here by the Germans. It's kind of a form of folk magic that they brought in various pamphlets and spell books. It's a combination of faith healing and Christian prayer, sympathetic magic, gypsy charms, and it's uh, been combined into, into one sort of loose system that's become known as powwow. Here's Philip Smith, a powwow doctor from Jacobus, Pennsylvania, from an interview in the 1970s. That's written by John George Holman from Lancaster County. He's a very big Christian man. And he, he defies anybody to misuse that book in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Or don't believe in it, he says. You'll be punished for your belief. And he says, if you, things in that book you can help people, you're guilty. 
of a person's death if, if you know what to do and you don't do it. You don't. don't believe it. I've never seen a copy of it. You can buy the book yet. You can buy this, The Egyptian Secrets, too. Mm. Albertus Magnus. It's called The Egyptian Secrets. Mm. You can still get this, both of them. But now, this is a... Yeah, you stick it in my shirt. Yeah. Part. That's an old one. I know that since 1915. In that clip, Philip Smith is talking about two books. One is called The Long Lost Friend, and the other is called Egyptian Secrets. The Long Lost Friend is the most popular book associated with powwow. It was written by John Homan and published in 1819. It remains in print today in various uh, forms. You can, you can find various editions of it still. Albertus Magnus, Egyptian Secrets... It's attributed to Albertus Magnus. It was not actually written by Albertus Magnus. And that was another popular tome among the powwowers. The sixth and seventh books of Moses were also uh, used somewhat, although those were considered a little bit darker and, and uh, lean more towards witchcraft to many powwow practitioners. The practitioners of this kind of magic were most popularly known as powwow doctors. I think that was the easiest kind of shorthand term but they were also called brawkers, sometimes hexenmeisters. Most powwow doctors were simply just faith healers. They went to church, they believed in God, and they believed God worked through them to heal people. They didn't think of themselves in any way as a witch. Yeah, but as uh, powwow doctors were often called upon to break curses and, and to find witches, it's not a far leap of logic to think that those with the knowledge to break curses may also have the ability to make curses themselves. In that way, witchcraft and powwow became tangled together. In the 1920s, powwow was still very much practiced throughout York County. There were even storefront powwow doctors in York City. And at this time, in the, the southern part of the county, in a dark hollow, lived Nelson Raymeyer in a small frame farmhouse. Though he was married, his wife refused to stay with him, calling him, quote, too damned peculiar. That's my absolute favorite quote regarding Ray Meyer. I just think it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's fantastic. There's been a, a lot made up over time about Ray Meyer. Uh, he's been made out to be just some sinister witch casting spells and evil spells from the basement of his haunted house. But in fact, he was just a man who, who tried to help his community. He healed his neighbors. He hired local youth to help on his farm. Uh, he was really no more of a witch than hundreds of other powwow practitioners in the area. Unfortunately, another local man didn't seem to agree. John Blymeyer was down on his luck. By all accounts, he was kind of a sad case. He was a failed powwow doctor himself. He couldn't keep any of his powwow patients. He ended up working in a cigar factory in York City. Perhaps fitting of someone with his background, Blymeyer figured he had been hexed. So he started visiting all of these powwow doctors throughout the county, throughout the area. 
trying to find out who would place this curse on him. Eventually, he came to Emanop, the river witch of Marietta. And she lived just across the river in a town called Marietta in Lancaster County. After several visits to Knopp and several payments, she told Blymeyer that she could identify the person who put the hex on him. She said that if he gave her a dollar, she would hand it back to him. When he unfolded it, he would see the face of the person who cursed him. And Blymeyer claimed when she handed the dollar back and he unfolded it, it was the face of Nelson Raymeyer on the bill. He asked Knopp how to break the curse, and she said he would have to get a lock of Raymeyer's hair or his hex book, which would have been the long-lost friend, and bury them six feet underground. Now that Blymeyer had the name of his tormentor, and the way to break the curse, he started recruiting some other local boys for help. One was John Curry, a 14-year-old who came from an abusive family, and he worked at the cigar factory with Blymeyer. Another was Wilbert Hess, who was 17 years old. His family farm had fallen on hard times. Blymeyer convinced them both that they had been cursed, and by Raymeyer. So these three worked up a plan to confront Ray Meyer. One night in late November 1928, they made their way to his house. Ray Meyer invited them in, and they talked about various things, but they couldn't muster up the, the courage to confront Ray Meyer that night, or to look for his hex book, which was rumored to be kept in his basement. But they stayed the night. Ray Meyer even made them breakfast in the morning. Yeah, that always, uh, to me, that was something uh, that rather pointed to Raymar not being a witch and not being this horrible black magician. <laughs> he invites them in, you know, certainly probably gave them warm drinks that night and uh, made them breakfast in the morning and, and sent them on their way. So the following night they returned and they demanded that Raymar give it to them. Probably unsure of what it was, Raymeyer handed them his wallet. Yeah, that one's always always been a question mark for me. It's, I think the, the, the powwow community was somewhat close. Um, if you listen to the interview with Philip Smith, he names these other powwow practitioners by name. He knew them. He talks about going to their houses and stuff. So by extension, I wonder if, if the community wasn't you know just as close back in 1928. I wonder if Raymar didn't have some knowledge of Blymeyer's obsession and if he was either kind of being coy or, or messing with him a little bit, handing him his wallet. On the other hand, it was 1928. Times were tough, particularly in rural areas. And maybe it was the most logical thing. If someone says, hey, give it to me, you know, just, oh, they must want money. Yeah, here's my wallet. Yeah. yeah. But this, this infuriated Blymeyer and a fight ensued. It, it took all three of them to wrestle Raymeyer to the ground. They proceeded to beat him to death with a chair and a block of wood. One of the most chilling quotes, I think, of the story was when Blymeyer heard Raymeyer's death rattle. He said, thank God the witch is dead. Uh, 
so frantic, they attempted to set fire to his house uh, to cover their tracks. As they left, Blymire claimed to have seen a shadow walk out of the flames and lift into the night sky. It's worth noting that the house didn't burn. It did not. It's uh, the fire. I think it burned a hole in the floor or burned a spot in the floor. Yeah. But uh, the house still stands. Here, Philip Smith weighs in on the subject of Raymire being a supposed witch. That was no hex trial. As quick as I read in the newspaper that this uh, Limeyer and this Curry boy, and of course the Hess boy, took him down in his car. He was <laughs> drunk into it. As quick as I read in the paper that they went, uh, he was supposed to be the witch doctor, and he went down there to get a tuft of his hair mm-hmm. to punish him. And in the scuffle, they took a chair and they killed the man. Well, as quick as I seen that they, he had to go down in, in something like that there, you don't have to know who the witch is even. You can, sh- you can fire on them if, if you take that part up. I don't take too much of that up because it's a risky business. I can imagine. And uh, if uh, it happens you get a hold of a gang of them and they're smarter than you, boy, they can nail you the darndest. I can imagine. So, uh, then the paper come out and said they found his hex book, The Long Lost Friend. Ah. Well, I happen to know what The Long Lost Friend is. And right there, then I know that it was no hex at all. It was a plain robbery. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Smith says it was no hexerai at all, meaning he doesn't believe that Raymeyer put a curse on Blymeyer or anyone else. The murder trial that followed uh, long before the OJ trial <laughs> called the, the Crime of the Century. It was a little bit earlier in the uh, 20th century. But the trial became known as the Hex Trial. The uh, murder, the crime, was called the Hex Murder. York County became a known as this place of superstition and witchcraft. In fact, it started to become called Hex County sometimes. Raymire's Hollow itself became known as Hex Hollow. Many people think Nelson Raymire and the Hex murder are kind of the, the sole reason uh, Raymire's Hollow is haunted. But weird things have happened there long before the murder. 
long before Blymar was even born. Before it was called Raymar's Hollow and long before the Hex murder, the area was known as Raymar's Valley. It would have been quite rural and isolated, and the local papers occasionally had reports from the area that were known as uh, jottings or notes from Raymar Valley. The ghost at the lower end of this place has made its appearance again. Several of our people are becoming so afraid that they will not travel through that place during the night on account of the spook. Raymeyer Valley Jottings, The New York Daily, September 10th, 1891. The spook made his appearance again one night last week in his fiery suit. News from Ray Myers Valley, The York Daily, August 25th, 1892. Lon Strickler is the publisher of Phantoms and Monsters website. He's a host at Arcane Radio and the author of several books on strange encounters. We're going to talk with him tonight about a personal experience he had in Ray Myers Hollow. Before we get into that, Lon, what's your, um, let's get into some of your background. You grew up in South Central Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, I was born and raised in Hanover, and um, I moved away from there after I got out of high school, lived down in Baltimore around 40 years, and I just moved back. You're actually related to Nelson Raymire, aren't you? Yeah, in a kind of indirect way. Uh, it was on my grandmother's side, uh, on her maternal side. Okay, and, and did your family talk about Nelson Raymire at all? Very rarely. I, uh, I knew about the story. In fact, I read the book when I was fairly young. But uh, it was, um, you know, when I was younger, it was actually a, a pretty popular book at one time so uh yeah i uh but i knew about it and what about powwow in general did they, <clears throat> did they talk about that at all i yeah there was um i was familiar with it uh i i, I knew about a long lost friend and um uh, uh i knew some of the, uh, the spells and what was used as far as the uh you know, uh, as far as using it for healing, um, you know, I, I wasn't really taught a whole lot, but I saw a lot. So, uh, what, what made you go down there that time you had your experience? Well, you know, I, I had read the book and, uh, I had researched it, uh, to find out, you know, I wanted to get an idea of what had happened, uh, other than the book. But the, you know the book itself was it was pretty well pretty well documented the uh, uh, the murder and the uh, the court proceedings and everything. But uh, I wanted to go down there, nose around, see well you know see what was the place was like, and uh, uh, just get a feel for what was going on. I, I felt you know since I am somewhat intuitive, I thought maybe I could get a sense of maybe some residual energy in the area. And what, what year did your experience happen? This was in uh, October 75. 
my senior year in high school. Was it day or night? It was during the day, but it was um, it was in the evening. So I guess it was I really forget what time, but it was late afternoon. And do you remember like where you were in the hollow? Was it near the house or in the park or? Yeah, I had actually, you know, I, I drove over there alone, and uh, like I said, it was late afternoon, and there was a locked gate. Now, I don't know how it is now, but there was a locked gate there, and uh, it was suspended over the access road, had to do trespassing sign. So, um, you know, was, the area itself was all overgrown with briars and high weeds, you know, and... Uh, you know, when I got there, I could see the house, or basically the roof because it was kind of down in the valley, but I could see it. I started walking the road near there on the side. I started walking down the road. And as I approached, I noticed what looked like an older gentleman in, in dark pants and a jacket. He was standing on the road uh, near that bend that led to the house. Um, I, I'd say he was probably about 150 feet in front of me, and he looked like he was searching for something because he was looking, looking down. But it was it was a peculiar manner. It just didn't it just didn't seem right. So um, I really didn't get much sense of anything at that time, but I was wary. So I, I stopped walking. And I just stood there for a few seconds watching this man go back and forth across the road. Never raised his head. So, you know, I decided, well, you know, it's time to find out if this is the caretaker. And if it's okay for me to proceed any further. Because I knew I was trespassing. So I shouted hello to him. And I didn't get a response. And uh, I was about to shout again. And I thought maybe it was hard of hearing or he was just, just ignoring me. And just as I about to shout, he looked up. Well, he raised his head and looked in my direction, I thought. And I then this was a now this was 150 foot away, but I swear this guy had no facial features. There's no eyes, mouth, nose, just a head. And it I spun around, hauled my butt out of there. I went right to the car, and that was it. I wasn't going any further than that. No so, one uh, that was I was pretty stunned by that experience. Yeah, did you get the feeling it was a sort of a ghostly entity or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I when that happened, I got a fairly bad feeling that this was some type of. Uh, bad energy. I didn't get a good feeling from it. This was I wouldn't say evil, but it was something that was uh, that was earthbound and it was hanging around the area, but I just, I did not get a, a good feeling at all from it. And when you say faceless, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine uh, just no features at all. No hair either. I mean, it was just like a, um, just like a bald faceless head that's creepy it is creepy i mean i i have never experienced anything like anything before like that since 
And uh, I don't know what this phantom was, but uh, my best my best thought is that this is this was um, something. It was an entity that was earthbound. Now I haven't heard any. You know I keep up on what goes on down there, and I haven't heard that description at all since then. So I don't know if anybody has run into this this thing bef since then, but uh, I haven't heard of anything. I've collected a lot of strange stuff, and, and the thing is, it's uh, other than things like black dogs, which you, you tend to get down there a lot. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of repeat. A lot of what people talk about is is different things, uh, you know, different sort of entities. But uh, yeah. there's not a lot of repeats down there. That's that's the strange thing. Like other than the dogs, you get the dogs a lot down there, and lights, strange lights. And that's the other thing I was going to ask you. I know you 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 take a lot of reports from witnesses and stuff. And I was wondering if you had any other encounter reports from the area of just strange stuff in general. No, just just down there in the hollow. Um, yeah, that's what I, I mean. Have, like specifically, yeah, from. I have had a few light orbs reported. Uh, some gentleman a while back had seen, um, uh, there had been entities he saw crossing 83, which, you know, which really was, isn't that far from there. No, not at all. And, uh, it was right there, right there coming out of the valley. Uh, but, um, most of what I've, that have been reported to me are, uh, a lot of different type of light anomalies. Yeah, that's what I'm getting. I, I got, uh, I took a, another Will-O-Wisp report recently. That book, uh, Mystery Animals of Pennsylvania, quickly mentions a Bigfoot sighting in uh, Hex Hollow. Have you taken any? I, I can't find one down there. I have never heard of one. I, I have heard of all kinds of different things down there. Uh, nothing really solid. You know, I you, you talked about black dogs. You know, I, and of course, I I read and investigate dogman upright canine sightings. I had something similar to that, but they weren't really sure. But as far as a bigfoot, no. And but you know that that area. I mean, I tell you, that area is hot. There's a lot of bigfoot sightings in southern um, southern New York County. Yeah, uh, and especially, especially recently, in the last two or three years, I have gotten um, the Jacobus area in particular has had several Bigfoot sightings. And in the uh, eastern part of the county, we have been getting sightings up along the uh, Susquehanna River. And, of course, I had the one in Redline uh, that was sent to me a while back. So, yeah, I mean, you know, even going down into Maryland, we've had them down in Stewartstown and uh, into Baltimore County. The red line one, that was the sort of Albatwitch creature, the small one. Yeah, I, I, I thought maybe it was just a juvenile Bigfoot, but it, it just seemed a bit strange. Just didn't seem like, you know, the, the normal Bigfoot sightings that you get. All right, so the, the best place for people to reach you is probably from the phantomsandmonsters.com? Yeah, they can they can go to the website, and uh, 
or they can email me at Lon Strickler, phantomsandmonsters.com. And, uh, you know, I think you have to go to the blog at phantomsandmonsters.com. Uh, I've got uh, click-throughs there that they can contact me if they have a report. And uh, I'm more than willing to read what they've got. And if uh, they're looking for your books, they just search Phantoms and Monsters on Amazon. Is that the best place? Yeah, either my name or, you know, uh, Phantoms and Monsters, and they'll come up. So we're going to talk with Matt now. He will be talking with us again when we get back up to Toad Road. But he mentioned that he had had a very strange experience in Hex Hollow as well. So we're going to run through that right now. Around what year was this? Uh, I'd say it was, it was right around after I graduated high school. It was probably around 2001, 2002. It was in the wintertime, uh, I guess it was in the wintertime of 2001. You went to Hex Hollow to try out a specific uh, sort of legend or or, uh, or folk story that you'd heard about. What was that? Yeah, we had heard a story that um, in Hex Hollow there's a lot of these like man-made bridges, um, just kind of like planks of wood just going across the little creeks. And we had heard that I believe it was five. If if you drive across five different bridges, your car will automatically shut off. I've heard lots of stories about cars shutting down yeah. down there, uh, but n- never uh, to uh, the driving across the bridges. That's interesting. So you went to Hex Hollow to try to see if your car would shut down, according to the legend. Yeah, we we tried. We used to try a bunch of the kind of paranormal things to try to see if we could expose ourselves to stuff and we had heard this this story about passing these bridges and we just wanted to try it out to see if that was something that actually would happen while you're there you you uh you uh nature called yeah <laughs> for, for, how many people were with you it was just you and a, and a driver or? uh there was four people with us total um there were there were two girls with us and then there was my buddy eric that was actually driving um, so there's four of us total and nature, nature calls like it usually does. And, uh, when you're down there, there's not really, uh, uh, any bathroom stops. So kind of go to water a tree. <laughs> and, uh, while this is happening, you said your friend took off running for the car. Yeah. I, um, so we both get out of the car and he turns the car off. Because he, he was really anal about his car. He had this Mustang, I remember, and thought it was all nice. But he, he turned off the car, and uh, we both got out, and we, we he walked. We, I walked to the right, to the passenger side. Of, we pulled up on this one road, and it was literally the size of the car. It was basically, that was it. There was hardly any room. So I literally walked maybe about a, two feet into the woods, and he proceeded to walk probably about ten feet in front of me and same amount about two foot into the woods and uh i'm standing there relieving myself and in the middle of me going to the bathroom i started hearing some weird noises in the woods and i saw my buddy just all of a sudden i hear this just rustling and just 
takes off. No words. I mean, he just ran. And I'm standing there, and I'm still going to the bathroom, and I'm kind of like, what the heck just happened? So, you know, I, I, I get I get done, um, and as I'm standing there, I start to hear this weird kind of, I'll say like grunting, um, almost like a, I can't make the noise, but it sounded like a horse, like a horse exhaling. Um, and it was odd, and I, and I heard it numerous occasions um, while we were standing out there. Um, so basically, I proceeded to walk back to the car to kind of find out what my buddy was doing and find out what was going on. So I get back to the car, I get in the car, and I, I ask him, I said, what's going on, man? And he said, you didn't see that? You didn't hear that? And I was like, I heard rustling in the woods. I said, I heard, you know, I heard kind of like a, a weird kind of exhaling noise. He's like, dude, there is a horse and someone riding a horse in the woods. And I was like, no, it, it's it's literally the end of November. It's 2.30 in the morning. We're on a road that is in the middle of absolute nowhere. There is nobody riding a horse in the middle of the night in, in November when it is cold. And I'm like, there's no way, man. And he's like, dude, you don't understand. There is a horse out there. And I was like what and he's like there's a guy on it there's a horse out that side he's like i'm not getting out and i was like all right so i got out of the car he turned his headlights on i remember getting out of the car and i walked about two feet in front of the car it was just enough where the headlights could illuminate where i could see the ground and i literally on the ground i saw tracks and i'll be damned if they didn't look like hoof prints it basically led right into the woods. Now you gotta remember the car, like I said, I don't know how the width of a car is. I don't know what you say, like maybe the five feet, eight feet, maybe eight yeah. feet, something like that. So right right about the middle of the car, so there was no en- there was no entry point. It was just like right at the middle of the car, there were hoof prints and it went right into the woods. And I obviously couldn't see into the woods and it just kinda stopped. And and I'll be damned if it, in front of the car I did not see what looked like horse manure. There's no way possible that a horse was up there. Now, it, they might have ridden a horse and it might have been up there. They, I know they ride back there sometimes. But at 2.30 in the morning in the middle of November, it's a little strange for someone to be riding a horse. So, after seeing this, and I'm you know looking around... I go into the woods for a little bit, and I try to look around in the woods. And I keep hearing my buddy yelling, like, come on, Jackson, let's just get out of here. This is, I just want to leave. And I'm like, no, man, I, I want to see what's going on. So I'm walking around the woods. I'm trying to look around, and I don't see anything. I don't see anything. I did hear the, the exhaling of a horse a couple times again. But like I said, I, I couldn't track anything down. I could. I, there's no way. I mean, I, I just... I. I couldn't see a horse. So I proceeded to walk back to the car just because I figured, let's call it a night. My buddies kind of shook up. As I walked back to the car, the, the, the hoof prints that I saw, they weren't there anymore. It was just looked like nobody had walked there. Our footprints were there, and the mud was still tacky enough to, to the point where, like, you know, it wasn't frozen, but there were no more hoof prints at all. 
So I proceeded to get back in the car, and as we're driving away out, out of out of Hex Hollow there, you know, it took a while for us to find the exit, because sometimes when you get back there, you get turned around. And as he's telling me this, telling me, I asked him, I said, what's, what's going on? What has you so shook up? He said, I swear to you, there was a man in like 1800 era clothing riding a horse that was literally in the woods. And I was like, there's, I was like, I didn't see a horse. He's like, he's like, I know you heard it because you said you did. And I said, absolutely. I did hear that. So fast forward about maybe a year or so. And I, I had hung out with him a couple times and I had seen him, him and I used to skate together when we were kids. And, um, I ran into him and we were talking and we, we went back to the story that we had the, the, the horse occurrence. That's what we called it. The horse occurrence. And we went back and we were talking about it. And, uh, as we were talking about it, he said that he was having dreams and I said, well, what, what, what were your dreams about? And he said, it's, he said, I'm telling you, it was the same man riding this horse and he's chasing after us. He said, it's me and you and we are constantly running. And he said, every time right before he gets us, he said, I wake up. And he said, since we saw them, which was probably about a year prior, he said, I've had that dream numerous times. It's kind of perplexing to this day because I don't really know what happened. I don't know how tracks, I saw the tracks, I physically saw them. I didn't see any entrance entry point it it started literally at the middle of the car and went into the woods so i don't know how like a horse could have just got planted right in the middle of the road and then walked into the woods and then the, how they disappeared and then the the exhaling of like i wish i could make the noise i can't make a horse noise so i heard that noise um but still to this day i cannot i cannot explain what happened i don't know what happened it's just kind of one of those things where I'd love to know what happened. <laughs> your impression and your friend's impression was that this was maybe like a like a ghostly kind of entity or something like more demonic or he 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 kept saying ghost. Uh, that was the thing that he kept leaning on because, and I'm like. A ghost horse? Like, really? Like, you know, I all I think of is, uh, what is it, the Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman. It's, it's, it wouldn't be the first ghost horse in York County. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, 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 I'm like, I'm like, ghost horse, ghost, okay. I think it was more along, like, a paranormal type with the ghost. I don't think there was kind of anything demonic with it. The dream thing's a little odd to me, especially since he it stretched over a year and he still had like random nights where he would have the exact same dream of us being back there, but him being chased by this horse, like this man on this horse. And, and to me, that was kind of crazy and it's kind of odd. But yeah, I, I think it was more like a paranormal kind of ghost. This next sighting from Hex Hollow was sent to us by a witness who wished to remain anonymous. She emailed the details of her encounter, as read by Tara Van Flower. My best guess is that this occurred in the fall of 1978. I saw the entity with my cousin. 
I know I was in my orange VW bug. I believe it was fall because the only time of the year I tended to do spooky things like attempting to visit Ray Meyer's Hollow and the windows of the car were up, something I was grateful for during the sighting. We went through Glenville and Glen Rock from Hanover. When we descended into the hollow, it was still light, but dusk was not far away. Since it was obvious that the roads meandered any which way, we decided to make all right turns at every opportunity until we were ready to leave. Then we would make all left turns. My cousin had read the entire book Hex and was the one who wanted to visit. I was familiar with the story, but had only read excerpts from the book. We had a long history of loving to be a little creeped out by the supernatural around Halloween time. She was two years older, so now that I had my own car, it was my turn to take her on an outing. We were hoping to see the house where the murder took place. I honestly don't remember if we saw the house or even how long we were there. I just know that it was dark when we started making left turns. There was also a slight fog, the type that produces gentle areas of light mist here and there. We were talking about the whole powwow ordeal when I uttered the words Nelson D. Raymeyer. At the exact moment, a white figure came straight down from nowhere, followed the contour of my car's hood and windshield, and then disappeared. I will describe it in detail in a moment. I looked in my rearview mirror immediately to see if it continued on behind the car, and it did not. We screamed and marveled, what was that? A kite? An owl? A ghost? And what were those two glowing blue eyes? Our left turns became frustrating. With the sparse fog, we couldn't get out of there fast enough. When we were finally clear of the hollow, we were still hearing our hearts hammering in our ears, laughing like we did as frightened kids when we were walking the tracks and then heard a train coming, and trying to figure out what the heck we saw. I told her that when we got home, we should each draw what we saw and compare them. We did. Her drawing looked like a traditional ghost, rounded head, rounded arms, a wiggly body coming to a point with a small scribble for a mouth. Oh yes, and the two large eyes. Being more artistic than my cousin, mine looked more like it. Mine looked like a stingray fish with a small, thin, jagged line below two large eyes. Whatever it was, it was a sentient being. It was almost as wide as the windshield. It was white and slightly luminous. Its two robin egg blue eyes were large and also had a glowing quality. It also didn't seem very thick. I vaguely remember a thin zigzag line where a mouth could have been. When it descended, its body was thinner. And then as it continued forward, a few inches above the hood and windshield, its side flaps were apparent. Whether it went over the roof or ascended in a sharp angle, I don't know. As I mentioned before, it could not be seen in the rearview mirror. It had its own luminescent glow, though, so I definitely would have seen it. However, we were viewing the underside of the creature. The edges of its body moved like a fish in water. They were not rigid. The being was solid, but ethereal-looking, and was not transparent, more opaque. But there were two large blue, slightly oval eyes. All of this is firm in my mind, even though it happened about one to two seconds tops. Because it happened right when I said Raymire's name, I thought it was his ghost. Mind you, I was 19, and the place was a bit spooky. Raymire did have blue eyes, after all, and it did seem like a deliberate posturing move on its part. 
not a happenstance swoop. I just couldn't reconcile that it was a spirit. I just decided to call it a snowy owl, with two unfortunate blue stains under its light feathered wings. It couldn't have been a kite. It was alive, and it wasn't in any Audubon book I had ever seen either. I wanted to believe I saw a spooky thing, but my rational mind also wanted the sighting to make sense. So I'd always tell people what we saw, and then say it had been an owl. What else could it have been? Did you see the northern lights on Saturday night last? And can you tell us what caused them? Ray Myers Valley Jottings, The York Daily, July 21st, 1892. It's very rare to see the northern lights in southern Pennsylvania, this far south. And I wonder if that's what, what they were describing in that last report, or if instead it was a UFO or some other kind of mystery light. I've seen strange lights myself coming out of Remires Hall. In September of 2012, I was driving on Mount Olivet Road. I was a passenger in the car. And looking north from Remires Hall, the fields and the forest were lit up with this bright bluish-white light. It looked like a, a stadium or something had, had lit up the fields. I was driving with a, another fellow, and I pointed out to him. Now, this was very late at night, early in the morning, actually. It was probably... 3.34 a.m. And I, I said, hey, look at that, look at that. It was this weird moment where, where he acknowledged it. He said, oh, yeah, but it's like it wasn't a special thing to him. It wasn't uh, anything really exciting to him. Now, I, at the time, I chalked it up to him as maybe just being too tired. I wanted to go chase after these lights, but I figured, well, he's too tired. I'm, I'm not going to ask him to do that. There's a recurring thing I've, I've noticed in dealing with these this kind of paranormal stuff where it seems sometimes it doesn't register for people. It happened another time for me when I had seen a, a cougar two days in a row in northern Maryland. I was working there at the time. The first day I was by myself. I saw it in the field. It was about 10 a.m. Huge cougar. So, wow, this is amazing. They're not supposed to be here. Next day, I was driving with my brother. I was a passenger again. He was driving the, the second day. Same place, same time of the day. I saw the cougar in the same field. And I pointed out to him, and the reaction was very much like the fellow was driving the night I saw the lights coming out of Raymire's Hall. It was as if it didn't register for him. Now, here's a cougar in a field in Maryland. <laughs> this is not something you see every day. And it's as if it wasn't anything special to him he went oh yeah and kept driving wouldn't you want to stop and and observe this for a little while i mean maybe just too much of an overload and it can't even register it just that, that's shut what i'm off. that's <laughs> what i'm wondering if, if I, I was doing an interview the other night in regards to the book and and the fellow he phrased it almost as if certain people have i don't want to say powers but certain people have uh Sensitivity, or, or are able to draw this out, and and I I'm real cautious about that because I I don't want to say that I or anyone else has powers over anyone else or has a, you know special magical abilities or superhuman abilities or anything like that, but maybe perhaps some people are more open to it, you know like like it, it it's a matter of maybe not being ready to see it or not wanting to see it even. 
Yeah, it's, it's literally like a gate. I think in terms of you know, music, and when I play music, there's a, there's a thing that we sometimes use called a, called a noise gate. You know, and and once you, once the noise hits a certain threshold, it kind of clamps down, and so, and you can't let any of that noise pass to pass that level. So I think maybe the the gate for some is is uh, there's a higher threshold for some, and some it just shuts off. It doesn't go through. It's 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 limiting. I think I, I don't know. It's an overload of sorts. For yeah, some. It, in one way or another. And I don't even want to say they're not ready to see it. I I almost feel like it's like they're not open to it in a way. And and, and I don't know if that sounds worse than saying they're not ready. But uh, like having experienced it twice, and I remember when I was driving with the, with the fellow, and I saw the lights come out of Hex Hall. I remember having the exact same impression, like thinking like he's acting just like my brother was that day with the cougar. Like he just like it doesn't matter to him. It's worth noting, maybe, and I'm not sure if this is crossing any sort of line but for the sake of, of, of this this recording or, or or what we're talking about both of these gentlemen are kind of the same type of person who tend to be single-minded and uh, not very accepting of, of things that uh, do not agree with them yeah that's 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 true and, and maybe that plays into it too they're just they're literally not able to uh, comprehend So besides the the sort of glowing fields that I saw coming out of Hex Hall, which people do report elsewhere in York County, we get a lot of that from Seven Valleys. There are a lot of will-o'-the-wisp type reports that come out of Hex Hall as well. We're talking with Zach Nace about some mystery lights he saw in Hex Hall, Ray Myers Hall. How old were you? I was 18 years old. 18 years old. What year was this? Uh, it would have been like 2006. Okay. Uh, you remember what time of year it was? I believe it was summertime, if I remember correctly. It was either spring or summer. I know it wasn't super cold out. And you don't remember the exact road you were on? You were just kind of driving the road? Yeah, we were just kind of driving around at night. But you, you, it was in the Raymar Salmon yeah, area? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, talk about what, what you saw. Like, the car was stopped, and uh, and then what happened from there? Uh, yeah, the car was stopped. It was shut off, uh, no music playing, nothing uh, out of, you know, out of the ordinary, just sitting there. And uh, I was with my friend, uh, Nate, and I was uh, looking in the side view mirror, and uh, I had my window down a little bit. And I was looking in the side view mirror, and I saw a, a blue light off in the distance, which at, at first I thought might have been headlights of some sort. But uh, then I, you know, I heard like a, a very faint kind of melody, like a woman singing a, a melody in a really creepy kind of manner. It wasn't any dis, like distinguishable words. Uh, it was just like a harmony, and. Uh, the light kept getting closer and the the melody kept getting louder and uh i didn't say a word to my friend at all i was kind of in a 
I guess almost like a trance just kind of seeing this happen. And uh, next thing I know, I look over at him and he's looking in the rear view mirror and without any warning or any talk beforehand, starts his car and we bolt. And we didn't say a word to each other until we got to a stop sign, probably good quarter to half a mile up the road. And uh, it was one of those weird, like, finish each other's sentences type thing because I asked him, like, did you did you see that blue light? And he asked me if, if I heard the singing and our stories matched up completely. And uh, it kind of freaked both of us out. And you assumed it was a, a sort of a ghostly encounter because of, it was near Raymar's Hollow. Yeah, and I mean, I had a, a real weird feeling the whole time. Like I said, it was almost like a trance when I was like looking at it because I didn't... I couldn't mutter any words, um, and it was almost like a paralysis-type feel, uh, and just a, a really weird, all-encompassing, just kind of weight. Did you know anything about sort of mystery lights or will-o'-wisps, things like that in Pennsylvania legend? No. There's uh, several legends of uh, mystery lights. The Native Americans told the Europeans when they got here uh, to be careful of the lights in the woods. Do not follow them. They said, if you follow them, they will follow you. So I think, uh, I can't explain the woman singing, but the, the light certainly matches up with the, the Will Wisp sightings. Very, very interesting. We're in Hex Hollow. Is it offensive that I call it Hex Hollow? I don't think so. I don't, I don't have a problem with, with Hexus. Uh, um, Ray Myers Hollow is nicknamed Hex Hollow. Of course, we went over. So we're, we hiked up the hill here, and we're overlooking the Cadoris Creek. This is the east branch of the Cadoris, which flows uh, through York County. And up to Toad Road. In a, it flows in a general northly direction, which some people uh, think is unusual. The um, the Nile flows north, yeah. and uh, what's the river in Virginia? Uh, Shenandoah. Shenandoah flows north. Not too many streams and rivers flow north. Where Charlie Manson found what he called the Devil's Hole in the middle of the, the desert, and uh, there was a he said there was a stream that flowed northward in the hole in Death Valley somewhere, huh. and he he always thought that was uh, special. So we're in a group of rocks on a big hill overlooking the Cadoris. We were I was looking for I'm always looking for what they call the Devil's Circle. I I don't ever expect to find it. It's supposed to be a circle of stones in Hex Hollow. And the way the Devil's Circle was supposed to work was a lot like how I heard the Seven Gates of Hell were supposed to work. In that uh, if you circled around the stones clockwise a certain amount of times, and I think it would probably be seven, <laughs> demon dogs were supposed to appear. Hellhounds. And if you went counterclockwise, which in occult terms I think is Vittersons, then the hounds are supposed to drag you 
through a portal, presumably into hell itself. So we saw this outcropping of stones and made our way off trail. A lot of legends here. You have a uh, a particular uh, opinion about Raymar yourself that ha- he's been misrepresented. I feel so. Yes, I feel that. Uh, I don't feel like he calls any will. Oh yeah, I, I'm in total agreement with that. Um, the the Hex Hollow movie though, you didn't even like the way he was portrayed in that so much. Uh, I, I don't recall exactly, but I, I feel like he was, he was probably just you know, a man trying to tap into what was being given off here. You know, as anybody in tune with their environment, uh, I think should try to be. Uh, I guess I see how how that would be perceived by some who aren't, you know, trying to to get in touch with their environment. Would uh, see how they would maybe feel differently about that. I think it scares people, quite honestly. I think, I think it's why movies like Blair Witch are, are popular. I think that's the, the the fright in Blair Witch. I don't believe it came from the witch. I think it came from people being lost in the woods. Honestly, I think uh, that that was terrifying to a lot of people. So w- when you were in high school and stuff, did did you hear rumors about this place about Hexai? Yes, definitely. I mean, it's it's one of the things. It's kind of like um, as I was trying to explain it to visitor recently uh it's i don't want to say it's like a the black eye of york county but it is a it is a kind of dark hole that everybody uh hears about and, and in some way um interested in this as they're growing up and maybe they give it up later in life but everybody definitely i think hears about it i don't know anybody who doesn't know about this place how many people do you think visit it not many, I think, because that takes that takes uh you have to get out of the comfort zone of all the distractions that we have. Yeah, I think kids drive through, and that's probably if that as, yeah. as far as most of them get. Yeah. So, do you remember any of the rumors and stuff you heard about it? No, it was all just it was it was the very uh, base form of the story, basically. Bad witch, uh, burned in his own home. Um, not many details. Just it, it was it was that part of it, and then the idea then that this place was uh, a place of bad spirit, I guess. Which I have to disagree strongly. I'm with you. Yeah. There might there's power here, I think, or energy at least. But uh, I don't think it's particularly bad. No, no, not at all. Is when you get down here, it, it feels a bit different from the rest of the county. And, you know, we've visited, obviously, all the parks that, that this county has to offer. And uh, each one of them is a bit different. But this is, uh, compared to the surrounding area, coming down here is just kind of way different from, you know, if, if you, you drive around, there's some farmland and all that. But you get down in here and there is some spirit and it kind of catches you when you get out. I mean, I can't look at that creek right now and not... not uh, I've always felt that way. It's it's it's. I've always said it's a little darker in Hex Hollow, but I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. I just think it's the hills and the trees and and uh, just the way things have overgrown. The fact that I really couldn't be happier that they've closed all the roads down. Yeah, really. It's uh, 
when it's overgrown in the summer and they make for great hiking trails and there's no cars coming by. It's quite there, nice. There's a particularly cool vibe about it in the cooler cooler times, like right now in the autumn uh, and uh, the winter. It's, it fits the, uh, the kind of natural spirit of, of the area, I think. What I forgot to mention regarding the Cadores Creek is that as it flows through York County and, and heads north, it it uh, meets with the other branches, and eventually it heads to Toad Road. So if there's some kind of energy in this northward flowing water, and a lot of people believe there's supernatural things kind of follow moving water, ghosts and, and cryptids and, and other things. It flows through Hex Hollow. It heads north. It goes through Seven Valleys, which we're going to touch on in a future show. It heads through York City, a couple blocks away from Prospect Hill Cemetery, which we'll talk about. And eventually right up by Toad Road. I mean, Toad Road is right beside Cadores Creek as it heads up to Cadores Furnace and then into the Susquehanna River. So if, if there's a geological element or some factor with moving water, Cadoris Creek is the thing that connects all these places that uh, supposedly had these seven gates of hell. Yeah, as you pointed out in your book, it's, it's kind of impossible to escape the fact that all these interesting, uh, really neat things are happening right along this small creek you know what what it, the coincidence of that or why did people make those associations with yeah and the the people who who believe uh bigfoot is is just an ape in the woods and the more i i read about it and uh research it and talk to witnesses i just uh i can't believe it's that simple um, maybe I'll be proven wrong someday, but but the, those who and I'm I'm not disdaining them. I mean, no one knows at this point. They're as right as me, who and I'm as right as anyone else until the mystery solved. But uh, so I'm willing to take their opinions into account, and they say that that these creeks allow the creatures to move. They can move uh, and keep out of sight, and especially at night, they can move along the creeks down in the banks or, or just right through the creeks and travel from place to place and that's why you see cryptids along creeks a lot or uh, rivers but it doesn't explain why you also see ghosts and UFOs and will-o'-wisps and other strange things beside them or why do these things always occur in the same places around the same times how the Hex Hollow witnesses aren't really talking about Nelson Ramar's wandering ghost or anything related to the Hex murder at all, unless Lon's faceless phantom was Ramar. Instead, the witness reports from Hex Hollow seem to talk about things like mystery lights, orbs, and, uh, you know, things like that. 
So along with these strange lights, the most common reports we get coming out of Hex Hollow are black dogs. And these turn up again and again, not just in Hex Hollow, but other places in South Central Pennsylvania, other haunted places, places like Skinwalker Ranch in Utah, and reports from the UK, Germany, and Northern Europe. Like mystery lights and ghosts, these black dogs just seem to appear at these places. They're drawn to them, or perhaps they're drawn out of them. And so we have Hex Hollow. It's one of the locations of the supposed Seven Gates of Hell in York County. It was filled with strange lights and ghosts before the Hex murder ever happened. Years after the murder, witnesses are still reporting strange lights and strange things in the area, black dogs. To me, it seems like Nelson Raymire's murder and the fact that he was a powwow doctor aren't the cause of the strange things in Hex Hollow at all. Perhaps he was drawn to Hex Hollow because it was an area of energy or power. And perhaps his murder was a side effect. A symptom. Yes, exactly. Of whatever energies are there that issue from or are drawn to Hex Hollow. It certainly wasn't the cause of all of it. We'll find this again at Toad Road. Besides the reports of paranormal activity, there's some very dark things that happen there. Not from ghosts or cryptids or the teeth of demon dogs, but from the hands of men. In our next episode, on our journey back to Toad Road, we will follow the Cadors Creek north uh, and stop in York City at Prospect Hill Cemetery, where we will hear a tale of a singing corpse with glowing red eyes. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, LLC. Music, art, podcast, books, and more. DarkHollerArts.com Intro and background music by Stonebreath which is our band. You can find more at stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Additional voices and readers in this episode were Joe Cosgrove, Serata, and Tara Van Flower. Philip Smith was interviewed by Catherine Deal.
How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.